it was like, no one's going to save you. This is up to you. You have to figure this out and go through this process. And it was not pretty. I mean, it, there were months and months and months where I was like getting worse. I feel like I'm getting worse. And then you realize you get worse before you get better. And then all of a sudden, yeah. whoo, you start to feel better and you realize all the things. So welcome to Mindful Warrior Radio. Mindful Warrior Radio is a space we created to connect with incredible humans to share brave stories, authentic insight, and real knowledge. My name is Cami Craig. I'm a former elite athlete, Olympic champion, turned performance and culture design coach at Mindful Warrior. And I'm your host of Mindful Warrior Radio. Today on Mindful Warrior Radio, we welcome our guest, Olympic athlete, performance coach, and entrepreneur, Caroline Burkle. Caroline has spent her life understanding her physical and emotional experiences and how they are interconnected. When deciding to transition from being an Olympic athlete, Caroline began to learn that the physical performances are largely impacted by our mental health. She feels we can truly rewrite the script where athletes fire on all cylinders, physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional. She strongly believes if you learn how to understand what your feelings are telling you, both in your body and mind, you can work with them and not against them. Caroline continues her work around helping people heal their bodies and their minds together. She is blending creativity, empathy, and movement to reveal her passions and help others uncover theirs. I feel so lucky and really excited about tapping into the insight and inspiration of Caroline Burkle on today's episode of Mindful Warrior Radio. So today we have Caroline Burkle joining us on Mindful Warrior Radio. Caroline and I have had the privilege of working alongside of each other for Rise Athletes, where Caroline was co-CEO and founder of Rise Athletes that provided mentorship, mental skill set coaching and performance coaching for youth athletes. So I was able to mentor athletes for almost six years um, through Rise and it's still today still the most some of the most meaningful work that I have done and I absolutely enjoyed it. Um, and that was such a blessing. Uh, to find you during that time in my life, transitioning out of the national team and wondering, okay, what is next? And it's led to working in the corporate space and doing executive coaching today. Uh, so I am, <laughs> I am so excited to have you here um, and to chat with you today. Thanks so much for your time. Of course, this is, this is this a pleasure. Is it's just catching up with an old friend and talking about actual real life stuff, which is my favorite. I go yeah. deeper and go home, you know? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the only way I operate. <laughs> go deeper, go home. We were just talking about how we were both, both of our Zodiac signs are cancers. Um, and I was saying, I feel everything, 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 everything. We get made fun of for it, but that's what makes the world go around. We got to have somebody that feels things for people. <laughs> Someone's got to feel something around here. Take one for the team. I mean, I feel everyone's energy from like here to Venice. I mean, I, I know, I know. 
It's so interesting. And I'm going to just, I'm going to actually grab this as we're sitting here talking about feeling everything. I was listening to a podcast of yours and I always follow you. You know, I'm a fan of you. Hello. I watch your podcast. I read your articles. I'm always checking in on what you got going on in your world. Um, and one of the things that you had shared is that you are the way that you described it is you are a feelings athlete. Mm-hmm. And you are in this um, kind of realm of the this felt experience within, and I imagine that's within your body. But I can you kind of define what it is to be a feelings? Mm. I love this. I sort of I wouldn't say coined it, but I felt very seen in this when I started hearing some other um, bigger names talk about this. Um, that had been in the sports world for a while. And, you know, Carl Pally, who was a really well-renowned gymnast started talking about being a feeling athlete and how he performs through feel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my God, this is exactly it. And so I, I came to this realization a couple of years ago because it was my whole career. I sort of felt like the outcast because I never associated my success with the same kind of metrics that my teammates did or that people that I was competing against did. I never understood, you know, times and splits. And mm-hmm. I wasn't that kind of athlete, like stats, like I wasn't driven by stats and I still am not driven by stats, but I was driven by the way that I felt. And it was hard to explain this, you know, as like a young girl to these male coaches or whatever, like, no, this just doesn't feel right. And they're like, don't worry about how you feel. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm not talking about like my arm hurts. I'm talking about like something isn't feeling connected in my body. Mm-hmm. Like something isn't feeling like I'm, I'm in one unit here. I'm disconnected. Mind is different than body. Something isn't right. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm anxious. My body feels jittery. I, you know, I couldn't put these, these terms together at the time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, fast forward and I'm a decade retired. And I was like, that's exactly what I was is I was a feeling athlete yes. and I, I succeeded through feel. And, um, you know, once my coaches understood this about me, I think that they used other tactics such as like tempo and, you know, talking about different ways that my stroke felt in the water, but we never really coined it at that time or identified it as an athlete that was a creative, an athlete that was a feeler, an athlete that succeeded through maximizing those tools because that's what I was good at. Um, you know, the same tools that you're good at can be the ones that you have to watch too, because it can be the demise of you at some point when you're overthinking, but that's anything that really is anything. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I, um, discovered is that I just, for me, it was the connection between my mind and my body and how those two things were able to work together to achieve success for me. Yeah. It's so interesting because I definitely have met athletes throughout my lifetime who I feel like their minds are almost like a dashboard where Mm. they're watching kind of all the gears and the gauges and the feedback. And they're honestly operating as if they are a dashboard. And what I'm hearing with you is you're completely the opposite. Like you're like, I prefer the dashboard to go dark Mm-hmm. And to really connect into what I'm experiencing in my body and in the feeling as an individual. And mm-hmm. it's so interesting too. what really resonated for me was, you know, I feel disconnected here. I feel anxious. I feel like, you know, things aren't flowing internally. 
And I think as a team athlete and playing with the women's US water polo team for 13 years, I could feel that collectively within the team as well. I could feel when things weren't connecting, yes. you know, yes. yes, within myself. Cause I, it really resonates. And I believe, thank you for the term. I'm a feelings athlete as well, <laughs> Yeah, you um, are. Yeah. but I could feel that vibrating kind of within the team when we were off as well. And like you said, it's almost hard to describe. And I, I remember specifically coming to the side of the deck and talking to our head coach, Adam Krikorian mm. at the time and saying, it's something's off. Like it's not right. I don't know exactly what it is. And it's kind of your job as the coach to figure it out, but I'm telling right. you, the team's not exactly where we need to be. And I'm noticing it and it's making me feel a little bit anxious. Yeah. Um, drop that information off there. 100%. And I think your recognition of that is what keeps, it's like the glue in a lot of ways. And you can't just like you have a relationship, a romantic relationship or a friendship when you have two different people that think two different ways, it's actually a blessing sometimes because mm -hmm. you're able to have, you know, it learn from one another and you're able to work, you know, your strengths and they work their strengths and you can work together as a team. It may take a little longer to figure out, but if you have everybody operating at the exact same dashboard, it's, you're just going to spin in circles, yep. you know, you're not really, or you have a lot of, of clashing because there's a lot of, well, my way is better. Um, mm -hmm with that specific thing. So, you know, when I reflect back on the Olympics and back on my team, my time with team USA, and I think about who were the dashboards and who were the feelers, yes. you need both. Like our relay in Beijing was split down the middle. We had two mm -hmm. dashboards and two feelers, you know, like, but it was just, it's, it's a perfect blend because I do think you learn from one another and you can play off your energy. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting because a lot of coaches now understand that more that like every athlete is different they may have their own strengths, but I think that the evolution of that has definitely, you know, been a challenge because back when I was competing, that's not okay. Like it was more like, no, you yeah. need to think the way that I want you to think. And I did not do well with that. So until I felt seen for the way that I operated, I had a really hard time as an athlete. Mm. I'm really curious of, I, I just started reading, uh, waking the tiger by oh Peter. Oh, yes. so good. <laughs> and he's talking about, um, trauma being stuck in the body and even more. So I like the way that he says energy being stuck in the body. Um, and how do you discard that and, uh, release it from your body so that it's not perpetuating and, um, you know, trauma responses or cycles that actually are not healthy or beneficial for the body. And tons of thoughts came up around this and in even his measurements of what is trauma and, the, and what is experiences trauma as an individual um, and how we do or do not regulate our nervous systems um, as humans. Right. And he uses a lot of like the animal behavior as an yeah. appropriate, not the appropriate way, but like, you know, well, the, the natural way from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm curious of, cause none of us get out of this world unscathed. We're all feeling some things at an intense level yeah. at one point or another, but I'm curious of what is it like to be a feelings athlete and experience competing at the level in which you did with a dysregulated nervous system mm. at different times and kind of what was your experience around that? Yes. Um, well, for anyone listening, Waking the Tiger is an amazing book. I highly recommend it. 
Um, I actually think as a, just to throw a joke in there that it got more popular recently because Courtney Kardashian store, uh, posted it to her Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, if a Kardashian does it, no, but honestly, it's, it's truly a really good book and it's based off of how we, like you mentioned, um, mimic we're all animals and how animals in the wild go into fight or flight or into shutdown in order to protect themselves. And so as a feelings athlete and as an athlete that, you know, operated such a fine tuned racehorse, like I I needed to be fine tuned in my nervous system in order to perform. Um, it, it was just very obvious when I was dysregulated because of that, like extremely obvious. So for example, my worst races, my worst performances were when I was either in fight or flight Mm -hmm. or in shutdown. So both of those ends of that spectrum can be detrimental to any athlete. And it's just a matter of how we operate in, in that way. So fight or flight for me was usually people pleasing and fear of failing and fear of, um, judgment. And Mm -hmm. it was like this initial thing. I would initially go into fight or flight. And the way that I felt was so I was extremely jittery. I couldn't focus. I felt like I couldn't stop moving. You know, you're like very anxious and my performances would be hot out the gates and I would die immediately because I was able to use obviously that energy at the beginning, but then I wasn't able to keep it regulated as I went. Right. And then I started to notice something really interesting as I went on in my career and things got a little more challenging and there was some, you know, coaching issues and there was some emotional abuse and all sorts of things that I was experiencing from different levels of my competition. Mm-hmm. I started to shut down. And so I would go into that dorsal state. And so yeah. as animals in the wild do, like you shut down when you're, when you think someone's going to attack you, they literally hide and like become, they play dead mm-hmm. because that's like a way of protecting yourself. So I started to notice the pendulum would swing pretty drastically over to this shutdown place to where I had no desire. I was just burnt out. I didn't want to do anything. I couldn't train. I would be completely fatigued and shot at all levels because I had swung so far to that, that my adrenals were tapped. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't regulate to save my life. Like it was just, that was it. And at the time it was just Burkle's tired. We'll let her have a few days off or whatever. But when I, yeah, I didn't have the terms for any of this. I didn't right. understand how to bring myself back to that ventral space, which is the middle where you can operate. And so I would shut down and it would just be so incredibly uh, full of apathy and full of like, oh, I don't care. Like, I'm not going to go to practice later. Like I just become shut down. So I think as coaches or as, um, you know, people working with athletes or even athletes becoming aware of your own patterning is really important because when you aren't aware of these types of things, you're kind of just throwing the dice and hoping for the best. But if you can become aware and use awareness as the tool, instead of trying to fix, just trying to gradually move yourself back to center from one Mm -hmm. or those one, one or the other of those, it's just so important. And, um, but yeah, those were, those were things I noticed in my career that I would, I would play off of, of those two back and forth and back and forth. Mm -hmm. Very rarely was I in ventral. And when I was, it was usually because I felt seen 
and yeah. understood and supported and safe and safe. And it mm-hmm. could be one sentence from someone. It could be my old club coach that was fantastic. Also at a meet that would bring mm-hmm. me back to center. It would be, you know, that I would just see there and he could bring me back and help yeah. me understand like, this is for you, not for anyone else. Um, but I, it, I played a lot off of my environment because I felt a lot. So that's where, to my point earlier, it can be a detriment if we don't know how to regulate. Yeah. Um, you had said, you know, if you're an athlete or just even an individual listening today, you know, it's important to recognize your patterns and figure out what are the steps you need to take to help, um, regulate yourself so that you can be in a state of balance or center and operate from there rather than kind of this unpredictable or super energy tapping place. And yeah. so my question for you is how did you start recognizing those patterns and what were some of the intentional rather than, you know, the ones that we just kind of built off of survival, but what yeah. were some of the intentional steps that you started to take? Um, I think during my years of competing, it was more survival. Mm-hmm. Just to throw that out there first. I don't think like, I think I had an innate way of continually stepping up to perform, but I, I think that was more out of survival. I agree. There's not a lot of space and time to like none. take yeah. the car apart and put it back together when you're training full-time for the Olympics. It is yeah. survival. And you're like, it this survival. works. We'll go back to this. Yeah. Right. And you continue to charge through. And I think there's nothing wrong with that, but the thing that's wrong with it is when you don't address it at some point, because it will catch up to you because those same patterns that you can use to compete and perform well, don't necessarily serve you in your everyday life. Yeah. And what I mean by that is when I retired, this is when I started to notice to your question. This is when I started to notice my patterns and what I would do in order to survive or to achieve. And mm-hmm. it was, everything was based off of validation and, and, trying so hard to run after, you know, run away from things or run toward, you know, it was just this constant running of like, what am yeah. I, where am I going? What am I trying to do? Have I really sat like sat still and understood myself? No. Mm-hmm. So my coping mechanism with anything was to do more and to start to find how I can feel valid or validated. And if I could just do more and I could just achieve something, I don't care if it's a Ragnar relay, like if I could just do something and be like, I did it, like, look, then I could, yeah, like stamp the thing, check the box. And well, guess what? That didn't really move the needle on any of my growth. Like I was repeating the same pattern again. So again, it helped me in my career because I, I mean, the thing that helped me the most or the thing that helps you the most can also be the thing that maybe doesn't help you the most. Your strengths always have a shadow side. Mm -hmm. And so my strength was being able to step up and perform and be the one that's like, I feel the the energy. Let's make the change here. Like, let's do this thing team. Like, let's, let's step up. Like you've got this, like, it's okay. Put it aside. We'll handle it later. (laughs) No one ever handles it later. And, and let's just do it. And so I, I could do all of that. And I did all of that for a really long time. But when I was doing that in my real life, I was crashing and burning. Yes. And it took me a while to get there. Like I was able to sustain that for like two to three years and like do all of the things and work off, work out in all of the ways and do all of the half marathons and all of the whatevers and not nourish myself with good food. And, you know, just constantly trying to be something more. Um, so what I really recognized was in a nutshell, I mean, this story could go on for like 
18 more minutes, but in a nutshell, I injured myself a bunch. I had a really gnarly concussion, which you're really familiar with. Mm -hmm. And all of those things that my body was telling me all happened very in a short span of time. It Mm -hmm. was like one thing, then the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing. And it was finally like, what are, what are you running from? Like, you've got to slow down. (laughs) Like you actually can't walk now. Like you actually have a broken heel or you can't, your brain is compromised and, mm-hmm. and you, you know, or you're sick all the time or, you know, all these things started. Your body was just screaming yes. at you. Yeah. yeah. Pay so attention, pay body, attention. Yes. It taught me the pattern that I was running mm-hmm. and that I was using my body as a way to prove. And it was tired and it was like timeout. <laughs> like you need to sit on your ass and mm-hmm. you need to heal. Mm-hmm. And I resisted the hell out of that. And I noticed even in that, I tried to gamify it. Anything I could possibly do to gamify an injury or gamify a concussion instead of just accepting it. But all of those patterns of mine were so evident and they came online so much when I really had to sit still and I was swirling in my head and would fall into these depressive states and wanted to isolate and felt like, I've been spending my whole life out like this. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm in like this, like, who the hell am I? Mm -hmm. What's happening here? And um, so, yeah, it's a really roundabout way of of sharing that. But I think the pattern for me was noticed through what my body told me, which was you're running away. You're not running toward anything. You're running away. What are you away from? Let's get clear on that. And that's when the work began. Yeah. I think it's, I, I really want to normalize this. And I know we have had many of conversations about this working with the athlete community and even kind of embarking on our transitions out of sport, um, to some level and how normal it is to be, uh, an elite performer or an athlete and chase that kind of wanting more, 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 more. And, um, not really giving yourself a second to slow down and sit in the stillness and in the space. Um, and so I just want to normalize that and, and share like how much that resonates. And I know how it'll resonate to probably a lot of elite performers who are listening to the podcast and, um, your ability to articulate it and communicate it is so powerful and potent and helpful to hear. Um, I think another thing that is popping up for me as you speak is this idea of maybe I'm curious if you experience being like disconnected or not in your body, even though you were a feeling athlete, Mm -hmm. not, you know, I'm hearing you're saying like, my body was finally screaming at me and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in my body now and I'm hearing my body, which means you know, did you actually compete at the highest level as an athlete, as a feelings athlete, disconnected and disassociated from your body and what's coming up for you around that? Yeah. yeah, That's gosh, you saying that's so real. Cause it's, it's interesting when you think back and you're like, okay, I was totally a feelings athlete. And I had all these things in my body that I felt and whatever. And it, my body was my job. Then it yes. was a tool. It was like a commodity of this thing that like needed to be perfectly whatever it needed to be. Was it for me or was it, who was it for? Yeah. You didn't hold the dashboard. Maybe somebody else did. And your body was the tool. 
And I think that's where that disconnect and that dissonance happens too from my career is I felt that way, but I never felt like I had the ultimate say. Mm -hmm. Like I knew that I felt it, but it was, I wasn't understood. I wasn't heard. And so then I'm in this like, okay, I'm just this thing. (laughs) Yeah. And the amount of trust that we give to coaches to push our bodies, like we're running the engine, but they are the they're leading the track. Right. And the willingness that we have to jump on the track with almost out thinking, questioning, challenging the track in which we're embarking on and, and the willingness to push our bodies on that track. Yeah. And it was the badge of honor to not have a period. For example, it was a badge Mm -hmm. of honor to be broken down or, you know, like all of these things were these badges of honor instead of this is amazing what I just did. Let's honor that recover or, you know, let's address this and figure out how we can maximize this and actually get a cycle back. Like it's very healthy, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever you need. And that's an endurance athlete thing. Like there's a lot of female athlete triad thing. We, you know, big conversation there you can go into, but I think, um, the disconnection is an interesting thing to think about because as I was healing and as I was injured years later out in retirement, I remember thinking, I wasn't injured at all in my career. I had some hip stuff, but I was Mm -hmm. never injured. And I'm like, holy shit. Like I was that disconnected to where maybe I was, but I just was. So it was just for, it was, it was a tool. Like my body was a tool for success, a tool Mm -hmm. to feel validated, a tool to do these things and really reconnecting with that in a way where I could have forgiveness for myself you know, and for how I didn't treat my body, maybe the way that I knew deep down innately that I was born on this earth to do, Mm -hmm. but, and that I did something incredible that I know my body was capable of and holding both of those truths in the, you know, at the same time Mm -hmm. and to peace with like, damn, that was freaking awesome. Like what I was able to do while feeling disconnected and also you know, forgiving myself for not having as much awareness of what I, what I deeply innately felt that I should have awareness in. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, I'll meet you there. And it's such a crazy man, unless you've been through it and you've experienced it, it's almost impossible to give that experience or share that experience wholly with somebody else. But this idea that you train for all of these hours, all of these reps, all of these years to compete. And I would say like going to a finals of the Olympics in swimming in water polo Mm -hmm. is a terrifying experience. (laughs) Very (laughs) showing up to the Olympics in some ways is like, I, I felt in ways disconnected, you know, disconnected from myself and, like you're almost in this elevated state, the entire tournament. Um, you know, I always lost so much weight at the Olympic games because it was like, I was shoving food in my mouth. Cause I was like almost nervous for like two and a half weeks straight. Right, you know? straight. Like you're just constantly burning energy. <laughs> yeah. And this idea, you know, I'm again, I'm just kind of like taking in this new text with, uh, Peter Levine and this idea that like energy gets stuck. And Mm -hmm. like when you're in this really kind of fight or flight place, and then we get to move through it, you know, and how has like competing in our sport actually allowed us to release the intensity or the, 
you know, the, the nervousness or the, um, I, I, it just like, I imagine like we get to like release some of that energy in, in the playing or the competing that we're doing. And I often think like, if I had to deal with the intensity from the coaching, the training periods, and even competing at that high of a level without like moving through it per se, Oh, like, where would we be today? What right. would be stuck in our body today? Right. And so I kind of feel like the actual competing and, and moving within our sport allows for like this kind of like output of the energy and then up level in the intensity and then output of the energy and then up level in the intensity and output in the energy. And it yeah. just builds upon, you know, itself into where you're like, literally, how did I even get here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So you make a really good point here because so when you're an athlete and that's your way of discharging that energy Mm -hmm. and let's say, you know, for me, for example, I then retired and then tried to discharge the energy with the same level of intensity, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't the goal wasn't clear. Like the, the goal was to validate in a different way. It was more of like a self-worth, like who am I now? Identity crisis. I'm not an athlete anymore. So I do think the intention is how that can be a healthy way to discharge energy. And so if we go even deeper and we're talking about people out in this world right now and addiction. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would argue that most every human I'm, I'm on the, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate train with this. If you're not familiar with him, get familiar with him. He's incredible, but he talks about how addiction is just a desperate way to regulate. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of athletes have addictive personalities yeah. and that's okay. I'm not saying, I think we have a very negative connotation with the word addict. It can be dangerous. I'm not like making light of this whatsoever. I, I have very close people in my life that I have worked through this and I've had to be careful with this, with exercise specifically and all of that. But if you really make it, if you humanize it, we're all desperately trying to regulate. So here we are coming back to this regulation. And so as an athlete, you're desperately trying to regulate as a human in real life. I was desperately trying to regulate. So I clung to exercise to try and provide the same outcome that I had had before. And my intention wasn't good. My intention was to feel worthy, to lose weight, to like, you know, all these things that I didn't need to do for me instead of to win a gold medal or to make my, you know, to do something as a team or, you know, sometimes the intention changes and it, it, it's not a healthy intention. So Mm -hmm. the challenge is, is what is your intention? Because if that's not clear, we tend to become addicted or have an addiction to something that may not be healthy. And that is actually coping. Mm -hmm for another thing that we haven't dealt with yet. Mm -hmm. So it can get really deep there. But when he brought that up, I was like, Oh my God, light bulb. I mean, that's everybody that's people that drink or, you know, sex or drugs or alcohol or Or work exercise or work or drama Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's like, what are, what's really underneath that layer. Mm -hmm. And so in my life, what was underneath that whole all of my layers of grasping and trying to do more and exercise addiction and eating stuff and all of that was, I didn't have self-worth. Like my self-worth was so low. 
-hmm. And I was incredibly um, malnourished in mind, body, soul, like all of the things because I had depleted myself and what was trapped in my body, that energy. And what happened? I got injured and sick. And so all of it starts to make sense. And you're like, oh, so what if we look at this from that viewpoint and instead of, okay, I've, you know, put on a few pounds and I'm feeling depressed and work is stressful and whatever. And and so I'm going to go drink or whatever. It's like, well, what's really underneath all of that? Mm -hmm. Can we challenge ourselves to look a layer deeper versus just grabbing the first thing that will self-soothe? That's right. Easier said than done, not making light of this, but that's why this somatic work is so important. That's why athletes are learning how to get help and regulate so that they don't end up self-destructing over these types of things, searching yes. for they are. Yes. Um, I just want to take a moment to lift up your number one thing for me always is your courage and your willingness to put yourself out there. The information in which you've just shared with us is so fiercely earned and it's hard core to earn it. (laughs) And I see you and like, I, I don't know exactly because I'm not you, but I have witnessed. And I also in my own healing journey, understand how wicked challenging it is to be able to sit in the seat that you're sitting in today and be able to speak about it in the way that you are. Um, and I'm constantly inspired by your discipline and your routine, but yet freedom and creativity and your constant willingness to show up, to find your balance and understand that it's not a set and forget, and that it takes work every day. Um, and to be able to face the things that you have faced, um, courageously and bring kind of that same mentality of like that grit, that resilience and, um, you know, it's everything that got your butt down the pool at the speed in which it did, you know, and bring that to healing is just so badass. I see you. Um, and I I'm constantly impressed by you. Um, and I know that you've been able to recognize all of these things. And I also know that you've taken really healthy steps to start integrating some healthy habits and dropping in skill sets and tools and mastery. Um, in managing all of these things that you and I, and many others who are high performers or elite athletes have white knuckled to get through. Um, and so I'm curious, I know that you have shared a little bit about your somatic experience therapy. Um, I know that that is one element that has helped you learn how to regulate, uh, your nervous system and operate in a way that feels whole and authentic to you. Um, but I would love to hear a little bit about kind of where are you at today and what are some of the things that are your most helpful tools that are in place that allow you to be the best that you can be? Mm. Well, first of all, thank you. I feel the same way about you. And I also want to say that I am far from perfect at any of these things. And I think that's the beauty of it is that you're not ever going to reach some destination of healing. I think it's a lifelong journey. I still have, I mean, last week, for example, before my birthday, there was like one day where I was just, I mean, 
crying all day and just like what's the point of all that you know the whole like existential like what are we all doing like we're all running a rat this rat race you know and I still have these moments and then all of a sudden like it's 3 p.m and something from 10 years ago bothers me and it's just it's it's life you know but I think (laughs) we learn how to get better with each time this happens because you have more tools to do so. And you also learn how to regulate yourself in that way. So I'm like, get up and go on a walk, damn it. Or, you know, if I'm feeling flat, I don't meditate. Like I don't make myself more tired and sleepy. If I'm already like, I'm not getting off the couch for the next five hours. Like sometimes that's necessary. Don't get me wrong. But if it's like a depressive state, Mm -hmm. I don't make myself even more low. Like I need to get up and move and walk and, and, make dinner cook or clean or something that's like, or make art or something that's like softer for me. Um, So anyway, preface with that, (laughs) that I'm not perfect whatsoever. And I think that that's what keeps me going in this journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somatic experiencing has been huge for me. I discovered it in 2019. Um, My good friend, Ben was working with Sarah Baldwin and he and I, he was in the army for 10 years and we started connecting over our lives and, you know, it's not the same at all, but the level of discipline that elite athletes and, and soldiers have is very high. And so we started talking about some of our struggles, some of his struggles with PTSD, some of mine with my own uh, traumas from my career. And he was like, well, I'm working with this woman and she's incredible. And I'm like, I will give anything a try. And yes. um, what had been stopping me, you know, I have been in therapy off and on since I was in college. Um, but what had been stopping me was that I thought that my stuff wasn't a big deal and I needed to be grateful and I didn't need to feel like it was mm. something I could work on, which I know you resonate with. Yeah. And then I was listening to Brene Brown speak with somebody on a podcast Oh, during that time, like in 2019. And she was like, suffering isn't like, there's no comparison in suffering. Right. And I was like, well, shit, I guess I better <laughs> deal with this. Like, cause I've been yeah. in for six years. Like, you know, what am I doing? Like, this is just, I'm constantly trying to battle myself. Um, and so I, I started somatic work and it was incredible. And for, you know, that's, Dr. Gabor Mate, Peter Levine's field of work um, that we've been talking about. It is a ground up body centered approach to healing. So it's very much um, how to regulate your nervous system, how to take you from any of those states to a ventral place where you can learn how to handle situations in a different way based on discharging energy from your body. So my first couple sessions were so painful. I mean, I'm talking like sobbing, like we would do these exercises where she'd walk toward me and I would have a panic attack and be Mm. sweating and, you know, just different things were so triggering for me. And I was like, wow, like what, what rock have I been living under? Like, how does this exist? And I didn't know about it. Like, Oh my God. Um, so that was just beautiful. And I've been working with her ever since. Um, so we're going on four years now and now we're like, at, you know, once a month and, and kind of just weaning off of certain things because she's challenging me to, to work through more myself, which mm-hmm. is also good. That's what coaches should do. Yes. Um, but that has been extremely helpful for me um, as far as tools that I've used. And so if it's not in the budget, obviously, you know, that kind of work is hard. There are so many incredible resources now <clears throat> that are 
on the internet or books or things like that, that can guide you through that, which I think are really important. Peter Levine has a bunch, for example. Um, but that was really helpful. And also starting to learn how to have a better cadence with my movement. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something I discovered along my journey with somatic work was I started seeing a functional medicine doctor. My blood work was horrendous. Mm -hmm. My adrenals didn't exist. I had all sorts of inflammation factors off the charts, autoimmune stuff showing up, which can be from trauma and can be yeah. from the experiences that I had in my career. Um, and I was like, well, shit, <laughs> like, no wonder I can't heal. And no wonder I'm not getting anywhere because yeah. my body is still keeping the score over here. So yeah, working in the somatic field and then trying to figure out how we can supplement that nutritionally was a golden ticket for me. And I just decided to whip out the old credit card and figure out how to pay for it later. Cause I knew that that was what I needed to do. Yes. And, and I decided like, my life is in my hands now. Like this is not, no one's going to save me. Yes. And Which I want an interesting flip from for an athlete. It's an interesting <laughs> right. flip for an athlete because your body's never been your full responsibility. It's been 100 by the yes. process and everything was paid for. And now I had to pay yep. for it myself and I was stubborn and you know, the whole thing. And so mm -hmm. it was like, no, one's going to save you. This mm -hmm. is up to you. You have to figure this out and go through this process. And it was not pretty. I mean, it, there were months and months and months where I was like, getting worse. I feel like I'm getting worse. And then you realize you get worse before you get better. And then all of a sudden, yeah. whoo, you start to feel better and you realize all the things. So, um, those two tools were really important for me. And then, um, kind of piggybacking off the nutrition thing was the movement piece that I had mentioned. What we decided in the blood work that we saw was that I was loading too heavy and too much. So I played around with that for several years and recently mm -hmm. learned that my body still detects heavy, heavy, heavy lifting <clears throat> with stress in a way that is like inflammation markers will be off the roof wow. if I do one week of heavy lifting. Wow. And my body detects that as fight or flight. And you did like, I mean, we're talking over decades of heavy lifting yes. for your yeah. training. Yeah. So I have learned how to get a good cadence with that. And I've noticed a big difference in my sleep and in my ability to think clearly and my inflammation in my body and my menstrual cycles, like all of it. Um, which is a bummer because I love to throw down, but you know what? That's just the way that I'm healing at the moment. Maybe when I'm like 50 and, you know, decide I'm going to throw <laughs> down. Again. But, um, so just patience with that process, but really diving in and committing in whatever way that works for the person, I think is important. If that's one thing, that's one thing. Um, so anyway, those were the three key things. And I tried not to overload because mm -hmm. we overload healing modalities, newsflash to me, and also became a newsflash to the world that's now being talked about is also a stressor to your nervous system. Yeah. So you're trying to do 18 different things. Your body doesn't know the difference between all of that and going and running a marathon. <laughs> yep. No, absolutely. So, absolutely. And, and yeah. that idea that like it, everything takes time and the same discipline and routine that you've applied to your life, whether it was out of balance or not, you're applying to the healing process. And I even think like 
when you were first starting, like you said, your first few sessions of your somatic experience therapy were super painful. Like I'm talking like, you're going to need like seasons of recovery after that. I think people think I'm going to go pop into therapy and then I'm going to go about my day. It's like probably schedule nothing else. Um, have like some warm, like comfort food waiting for you at home and like get a good night's rest and drink lots of water because it'll beat you up. And I think, you know, people who have really gone through the battle of managing depression or anxiety or wherever you're at in your journey and they're embarking on, um, the healing process, whether that be through therapy or body work or, you know, the different things that you just suggested and have worked for you. I'm like, give yourself plenty of space and a lot of grace because you're going to be one whooped puppy. Um, because it takes time and energy to heal and it takes the courage to continue to show up and to continue to say it's okay and give yourself the grace and to be able to rest and recover. And that slowing down and giving space is also incredibly scary and uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially if you're a high performer. Um, and so I think, you know, I, again, to be able to sit here and talk about those things that you have taken the time to integrate and, you know, decide, does this work? No. Does this work? Yes. Does this work? That takes so much time, so much courage, so much energy, you know, in a life where we're giving a ton out already. Um, and I think just for listeners is just like, it's like training full-time for something when you're going through the healing process. Yeah. I want to add something really quick to that, that, um, first of all, yeah, it's going to take time. You, you can't just say, I'm going to do a month of therapy and, and you figured it out. It's just not a thing. If, not if a you thing. think that go read Peter Tia's new book, because he talks about that in his last chapter, how he failed that the first time around. And then his family was like, no, 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 you need to do this. Like actually do this. And it was a beautiful chapter. You should definitely read it. Um, but the other thing I was going to say is that it's okay. If you don't have a clue how to start. Like this is the kind of stuff that's like biohacking world. Like there's a lot of confusion on like, how do I opt to optimize my life? Like there's 8,000 different resources from like brain chips to like, like microchips in your brain to like ice baths, right? Like there's eight yeah. million, like it's overwhelming. So go back to yourself. Like, you know how to do this, trust yeah. yourself because with all of the information out there, take it in a little bit, understand it, listen to podcasts, read the books, do all of those things, and then recover, squeeze the sponge out, use mm-hmm. your body, like figure out what works for you. Trial and error. This isn't like, how much can I load? Like, no, <laughs> this, is like, yes. this is how can I learn from the little things that have worked? And maybe if it didn't work now, it can work another time, but like slow baby steps. So I just want to say that because yes. I get, I get that question a lot just in general, like, well, should I do this? And should I be doing this? And should I be doing this? And the, my question is, have you tried them? What do you feel when you're doing them? Yeah. Great. You know, like it's about yeah. you. It's not about what Andrew Huberman told you to do. I mean, it is because we love Andrew Huberman, but also it's not because that's Andrew Huberman and that's science and research from a, a population that he's studied. It's not from everybody in the entire world. And so something different works for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. 
If you could share with us maybe one small, I would imagine you've got some small tools or exercises you use in a moment of experiencing dysregulation. Um, is there anything that you can leave us with that you've incorporated into your practice? Yes, I have two physical style things that are probably like hard to explain or show here, but I'll do my best. Um, okay. That have helped me a lot that mainly for when I'm in fight or flight and dysregulation, I still am trying to figure dorsal out a little bit for myself. Like usually it's a walk, but mm -hmm. I got to ride that out. And so that's part of my current experimentation. I, I'm uh, finding when I'm in dorsal that don't go play water polo because someone beating up on you and pulling on your suit and kicking yeah. off you to go the other direction is not where I want to be. No, not at all. You know, to be wrapped in a comforter. Exactly. So like <laughs> thrusting too far into that is hard, yeah. but it's so real. Like, but for fight or flight feelings, like when I am in dysregulation and fight or flight, which means I am anxious, I can't I have racing thoughts. I can't stop thinking about something. I'm overthinking. I'm obsessing. I'm, or, you know, just out there uh, mentally wild. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I find that shaking my hands, okay. discharging the energy from my hands, like, like, like you see athletes do before races, for example, or yep. you see people do like before, like behind stage, like musicians, because your hands hold so much and we clench yes. our jaws and our hands and our bodies so much, but kind of just like shaking mm -hmm. <laughs> and it sounds cheesy, but it is actually discharging energy. And this is where I will bring the animal analogy into it. When you see a dog shake and when they shake it off after they have an interaction or after their or whatever, it's not, they're not getting dust off their body. <laughs> They're shaking because they are discharging the energy wow, from yeah. that experience. So when you see an animal do that, usually whatever experience that was, was like, they need to reset from that. And so that's exactly like a human. So if you have an incident, even like, you know, God forbid something tragic, like a car accident or something, and you get out, it's like, just let, just discharge that because that is in your body. And sometimes letting that go is very healthy for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's helpful. And then I also do a lot of like vagal tone, vagus nerve stuff if I'm feeling overwhelmed. And also if I'm actually feeling sad, this helps mm -hmm. um, where there's a, a little feeling like at the bottom of your throat and that little pit right here. Um, I should know the scientific term for this, but I'm yeah. like, it's that little soft spot there. It's like a little pocket. Yeah. Spot. So if you do the the sound V, V-O-O. -O, mm -hmm. Ooh, and vibrate the vagus nerve. And you do that until you feel calm. And if everybody just like does this after this podcast, because I've probably riled y'all up, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you notice an immediate change and mm. you're like, even that. Yep. That's why women giving birth do it, for example, yep. because you are regulating your nervous system and it is so simple to do, but we don't do it because we're embarrassed. And yeah. so it's just do it. I don't care if you're out on a walk and you're booing while you're walking. <laughs> like It's so incredibly helpful and the science behind it's insane. So if you you know want to go research that it's, it's beautiful, but, um, so those are two things that help me that you can do anytime, anywhere, really. And if people think you're weird, then 
great. Have them go look up all of the people that we just named on this podcast and they can study them if they have questions. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to start making, shaking it out and vooing around the block, like the next cool thing. And we're going to regulate this whole world one block walk at a time. But honestly, like, honestly, truthfully, it, I think it would change so many things if in school yeah. we learned how to do these things or it, you know, I mean, it's, I just became a birth doula and I've had two births and they've been phenomenal because it's a lot of sports psych style coaching. Yes. Yes. It's a lot of somatic coaching and, um, the vooing and the uh, relaxing the jaw, like not clenching, like trying to create that, like just discharge, slow discharge in the way versus this like panicked thing we see in the movies. Right. It's, I mean, look, I've never given birth, so I don't know the exact experience. And also from the women that I've talked to about it, that is very helpful for them. So just sharing that experience there, but it's, it's interesting how it, we are also interconnected animals, humans, all of the things. And if we only just tune into how that stuff can actually help instead of resisting it, cause it's silly. Yeah. How much more peaceful of a world could we have? I don't know. Maybe we should try. I'm yeah. certainly still trying. I don't have all the answers, but I do have things that I'm, I'm working on that have helped me. So that's all I know, you know, from my scope. This has just been so wonderful. <laughs> this conversation has been awesome. And I think, again, I, I, I know you and I know the amount of courage it takes to show up in the way that you have. And I don't know courage without reward. And I always feel that courage is rewarded in one way or another. Um, and this has been a long time coming. I'm so glad that you were on the podcast today. (laughs) I miss you dearly. I know. Um, Same. Now we're closer. Yeah. I miss our conversation. So just thank you so much. And this was such great insight and, um, so understandable. And I think it's going to connect to many of our listeners and you're just a light. Keep going out there and and shining and changing the world one view at a time. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you. And this is just a beautiful podcast. I'm loving it. And I I really enjoy hearing you be like the host that you are. So keep it going, girl. (laughs) So fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to those who joined us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take the opportunity to share with a friend, follow Mindful Warrior Radio, and leave a review. To learn more about Mindful Warrior and Mindful Warrior Radio, please follow us on Instagram at The Real Mindful Warrior and check out our website at www.mindfulwarrior.com. I look forward to our next discussion here on Mindful Warrior Radio.